morning. We have gathered together here this morning for a very special reason. To celebrate a God who sent Jesus into the world to save us from ourselves. And we thank Him this morning. Let's stand together. Let's give Him praise this morning. Let's thank Him this morning. I'll always say this gospel song. No higher hope, no greater love. A king who came, a life laid down for the world. I'll always say this hymn of grace. Heaven stands here to stay. A king who came, a life laid down for the world. 
Gonna tell it to the whole world, cause he did it for the whole world. One more time. Gonna tell it to the whole world, cause he did it for the whole world. Gonna tell it to the whole world, cause he did it for the whole world. Amen.
Amen and amen. Isn't that good news? If you didn't know it before, you're a child of the King. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, the world will tell you you're this and you're that. You should do this and that. But it's so wonderful when our Lord tells us who we are. We are his wonderful children. And it's a particular uh, scripture that I love that makes us very clear who we are in God, in Christ. Let me read it to you. Psalm 139. It says, Oh, O Jehovah, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou searchest out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Jehovah, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand Find me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And I want to go down to verse. Here we are, 14. I will give thanks unto thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my unformed substance. And in thy book they were all written. Even the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was none of them. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a promise from God to his children. He tells you who you are from the, from the time when you were just a little baby in your mother's. God has been covering us. We are his children. And let's go before our awesome God in prayer. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for being our Father. For letting us know who we are. Your children. And that you've got us covered, our front and our back. Lord, you've got us covered top to bottom. We are yours. And you said, in fact, in one of your uh, scriptures, uh, Psalm 91, I believe, that you will cover us with your feathers so that under your wings we could trust, just like little chicks. Lord, we need your protection. We need your covering. Father, we cannot imagine going another day without you. We're so glad that we're yours. I'm sorry for the rest of the world that does not know you that way. For those who don't, Lord, we ask that you would just touch their hearts and give them a desire, urging to know you as their Lord, as their master, as their God, so they could have this wonderful assurance that we all share here, just knowing, dear God, that you've got us covered. Lord, bless all of our church members. Bless all Christendom. Keep us safe, O God, from all hurt, harm, and danger. 
Lord, we ask that you let no weapon formed against us prosper. And when the enemy comes against us as a flood, Isaiah said, you will set up a hedge, a, 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 a standard that he cannot transgress. Oh, how reassuring that is to our souls. And we thank you, dear God, for we know your word is true. You're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you need repent, the Bible says. We trust you, O oh God. We trust your words. You alone have the words of life. Thank you for applying them to our lives, your children who love their father. Lord, we ask that you bless our service today. Bless the services around America, around the world, where they're honoring you, O oh God. We ask that you touch our pastor in a magnificent, anointing way. And that he will bring forth that word of God like he always does, Lord, full of the Holy Ghost. We want to feel your presence today, oh God. We want to give you honor. We want to give you glory. We want to pay homage unto our wonderful God, our Father. This we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey CTC family, I'm Bill, and here's this week's news. Last week we began a new message series entitled Change is Normal. Things in our world can change fast, and this series is designed to help us navigate these times. Along with that, we're recommending a brand new video study series from Right Now Media called The Power to Change. Life change happens at the moment you begin a relationship with Jesus. But what happens when daily temptations and distractions leave you feeling overwhelmed and stuck in the same discouraging patterns? This six-week video study with Jenny Allen, Matt Chandler, and Onika McClellan will help you understand the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and allow God to make the changes that we need in our lives. Many of you have participated in the Financial Peace University groups. Almost 6 million people have taken the FPU course and discovered the right way to manage money by learning the timeless principles of paying off debt, saving for emergencies, and investing in the future. We are excited to be able to offer FPU classes online this fall. Beginning Sunday, September 27th, and continuing through November 22nd, Darren Waters and Ken Staz Jr. will be facilitating this study. For more information, contact the church office and we'll get you connected. We want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has responded to our needs request this week regarding help with the storm damage. We've had over 30 people reach out to us to offer financial and hands-on support. As we move forward in various areas of ministry to our neighbors, we will be sending out this type of communication through Church Community Builder. Thanks again for your responses and your interest in seeing ministry happen in this way. For more information on these and other events, visit our website at ctcde.net or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the church office at 302-836-2862 or you can text us at 888-344-1022. You can also send an email to prayer at ctcde.net. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. Good morning. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Glad that you're glad that you're here with us today. And I uh, want to thank you, Bill, for giving us those announcements uh, that we just saw. At Christ the Cornerstone, we focus our ministries on uh, several uh, areas, uh, act, core activities. We believe that following Jesus is not a journey that you take alone. 
We need others in that. And so we emphasize getting together in small groups. I just want to take a minute to say, especially during this COVID experience that we're having where we're all isolated, we need to be intentional about the ways in which we engage with other people. So I want to invite you that if you're, if you're feeling lonely, if, you're, if you don't have a good network of people that you're regularly in contact with, please let us know and we will be glad to help you connect with others. And if you're here in the room and you're not part of one of our small groups or if you're watching online, uh, we need that interaction with people. And especially during these days, we need to be more intentional about doing that. Jesus also teaches us to serve others. And uh, Bill was talking about the people who have responded, especially during the tornadoes, uh, in response to that. We need to be using our gifts and our abilities to assist others. And there are ways, ways that we can do that. And if, and if you're looking, you feel God is asking you to do something, you're not quite sure what that is, have a conversation with us. Send us a message and maybe we'll help you figure out what that is and get connected that way. And another thing that we do is we encourage giving generously. And uh, there are several ways that you can give. If you're online, you can give by um, uh, with our uh, going to ctcde.net, and there's a place to give online. And that's simple to do. And uh, if you're here in the room, uh, you can give in person. There are envelopes on the table by the door as you leave, and there's a basket by the door where you can place that envelope. And that's also the way that we share prayer requests still and uh, writing prayer requests on those envelopes. But if you're at home and you want to share prayer requests, please go to our ctcde.net website and look for the Connect card there. And that is a great way uh, to share prayer requests with us. And it's also a great way to interact with, with me and with other staff as we pray for each other in this process. Let's continue to worship God this morning, and I invite you here uh, to stand with us as we continue to sing before we hear the Word of God this morning.
thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. change is normal. It's pretty powerful music behind that bumper that kind of impacts us once again and says, you know, change is a constant thing that we have to deal with in our lives every day. You hear me say often, talk often, I think, about my father. I tell a lot of stories about that. I had a great dad, glad for that. And uh, he always had these little sayings. I think he learned them from his mother. But this one, uh, Talking about change and, and the presence of God with us. Dad used to, every now and then when I would do something that impressed my father and he was proud of me, uh, a small thing or even a big thing, he'd come out with this little quip. He'd say, you know, Roger, you're so bright. I think I'll call you son. Isn't that nice? That took a little while for you to get that. Uh, he also said on other occasions, you know, Roger, you'll be a man before your mother. That one was very encouraging. I was pleased to hear my dad say that all, all the time. Last, last week I gave you this poll, so let's take the poll again to see if, there's any, see if there's any change. I asked you the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all, and 10 being bring it on, how do you handle change? So let's ask, how have you handled change this last week? 1 to 10. And if you're online, you can post your answer uh, on Facebook or something, a number of 10. Let me see your hands. Uh, this past week, how have you handled change? Uh, in the earlier service, we had some threes and some fours. Uh, got some fives, sixes, and, and uh, you're doing pretty good handling change. Change is a constant thing that we've got to handle. And, and, and that's why I asked this week, because things have changed in, in this last week. I found an interesting process for understanding change in our lives, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. And it's called the cycle of change. And I, I, I came across it on the Internet, and I kind of Googled it to see if there were other things. There were a number of different models for understanding how we experience change in our lives. And so this is just one of them, and I liked it. It was pretty simple to understand. And uh, it goes along with kind of the colors uh, of uh, a traffic light. So you've got red and yellow and green in that. And so the first section, there, there are six stages to this model of how we experience change. And we start with the color red. So each color is going to have two stages in it. So the first stage uh, is in that what I call the red zone, which means stop. We're not going very fast. We're not going very far with our changes in the in the red zone. And the first stage is called loss. We experience a loss and a change means that we have lost something. In general, it means that we have lost control of some aspect of our life. And there are some things, some changes that we that we have to make. They're very small and we can adapt very quickly to them. But then there are other changes that are huge. Everything changes 
in our lives. And this COVID thing and the George Floyd thing and, and, and the finances have been massive changes, not just for us in our own towns, but for the entire world. And, and that's why we're talking about change, because this is one of those times when we need to be prepared with these changes. And so stage one is feeling the loss. And during stage one, we experience the loss of control over things that have changed. We may feel fear. That might be an initial response that we have. We may become cautious or even paralyzed to deal with things. So we might feel like life has just stopped because of the change. That's stage one. Stage two, also part of the red zone, is doubt. We become skeptical about the change or things that, that might have to happen in the change. And we resist any efforts to adjust things. No, we can't do that. And we may even feel resentment because of the changes that have to come. And we ask the question, why can't things just stay the same? You ever say that? <laughs> How come things can't just stay the same? Well, things don't stay the same. And that's part of the stage one and two are part of the red zone. Then we move to stage three. Now we're in the yellow zone, moving ahead a little bit. Stage three is discomfort, and we feel discomfort because of the, uh, the changes that have to come, and our anxiety continues to build and increase. You, you may, during this stage, you may have conflicting thoughts about what to do. I should do this, or I should do that, or this is changing, and you, you discover that because of this change, something else has changed, and so the changes get built upon one another. And you feel like your, your behavior is unproductive. It's like you're just spinning your wheels. So these are the first three stages. But before we move on to the next one, this is a critical point. And it's called the danger zone. And it's a critical turning point. And if you don't choose soon to take positive steps towards change, your fear and your anxiety will send you back to stage one. And you'll, only, and you'll get stuck in this self-defeating and self-perpetuating cycle, this loop of anxiety and resentment and confusion and unproductivity. And nobody wants to stay there. And God never meant for us to get stuck in that kind of cycle where we're just spinning our wheels in that negative zone of, of the red and this partial area of the yellow. However, if you progress through stage three, and if you take the risk, and if you choose positive attitude and behaviors, you will move on to stage four. And stage four, still part of the yellow zone, stage four is discovery. And in discovery, you begin to discover options. You've got options. And you can anticipate. So that anticipation kind of leads to hopefulness, doesn't it? We're, ex we're, we're excited about something to come. You think of that old Heinz ketchup commercial where, the, where we're all waiting for that ketchup to come out of the bottle. I know I'm giving my age on that. But, but we're waiting for something and something good. And so that moves us uh, from stage three to stage four. We have this hopefulness. You begin to look for resources to help with the old ketchup bottle illustration. You can't wait for that ketchup to get on your hamburger. So instead of just tapping the bottom of it, now you 
now you grab the knife that's beside your plate and you stick it in there. And you start, Let's help this thing along a little bit. And you think of options and resources. What do I have around me that can help me make a positive change and deal with these things? You begin to look for resources. And suddenly you become energized to face the reality of the change. And again, look at your options in this yellow zone of stages three and four. The key here is understanding the choices that you have. And when you have choices, you have control. You've got power to exert your own will on this. And you can choose to stay in the negativity and the fear, the resentment, the resistance, the confusion, and spinning your wheels. Or you can embrace the opportunity that is given to you through this change. Several years ago, while I was still in seminary, I was taking a class called the pastor as caregiver. And uh, pastors have to, we we give care to, to people. And so the professor teaching this class was talking about crisis moments. And he made this statement, never miss a good crisis. And we're, we're, we're so we're, we're so um, designed or taught or, or reinforced in our lives to avoid crises, right? We want to stay safe. We want to stay out of conflict. But that is really unrealistic in our world. There's always going to be conflict in our lives. There's always going to be some crisis happening to us. Maybe it's because of somebody else's choices. Maybe it's because of our own choices that we've made in our lives. But there's always going to be something that happens. And he was telling us, never miss a good crisis because in every crisis there is an opportunity to grow. So take the opportunity to grow. And he, he, he said to us, now, I'm not an expert in the Chinese language in Mandarin or, or anything like that. And I don't know a whole lot about it. But he used it as an illustration to drive home that point, the, the Chinese word for crisis. And, you know, in the Chinese language, they don't use letters like we have in, in our English language. They use pictographs. They use pictures, shapes. To express the thoughts and the meaning, what they want to say. And this word crisis, using the Chinese characters, characters or pictographs, is made up of two pictures coming together. And one of those pictures is the word for danger. And so a crisis involves some kind of danger. But the second word that puts, that's brought together to mean crisis is the word for opportunity. So a crisis is a dangerous opportunity. And that brings, that's that's great meaning to, to, to me. And so when we come through a crisis experience, something's happening, we have to be aware that this is a dangerous experience. But don't stop with the danger. Stay in the crisis until you see the opportunity for growth. And, I, and I'm reminded of the, a verse that comes to me fairly often, and I say it often, and, and, and I suppose it becomes one of my favorite verses from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind. Because you know that those trials produce endurance. 
So let endurance have its full effect. Did you hear that word that I just It's a three-letter word, not even a four-letter word. A three-letter word is less than a four is worse than a four-letter word. The three-letter word is the word let, L-E-T. So let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I see in, in just that verse, I see the, these, these, this process of change happening. And, and even though we haven't, I haven't described to you the full process, here's, here's steps three and four where there's that danger moment. And remember I said, you've got to make a choice. And in that verse, James 1, 2, and 4 is the word let. And in the word implied in the word let is your choice. You can allow your experiences and your endurance to move you forward. Or you can let them keep you back in this negative place. The choice is yours. So here we are looking again at this place between stages three and four. You can choose to stay in the negativity and fear and resentment, resistance and confusion and unproductivity. Or you can embrace the opportunity and grow through the change. Look for the growth. Because God is leading all of us toward maturity. That's what it said. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Boy, do I want that in my life. I want that peace that God gives to me. I want that sense of wholeness. And you know that, that word wholeness really is that word that we Christians use called salvation. But we spiritualize it and we, we, we get stuck in using this English word salvation, which we tend to think only narrowly as just being saved from our sins. But the salvation that God wants for us is this wholeness of having a whole, full, complete, fulfilled, satisfying life. And what that means is holiness. God says, be, be holy as I am holy. So God is constantly moving us toward this perfect love that God has for us and his love. And he wants us to experience this in life. He's constantly moving us. So we want to move forward in life. And while we're in that yellow zone of stages in three and four, we choose to anticipate the opportunities, gather the resources together to deal with the change. And we are energized to move towards step five, which leads us into finally that green zone. Stage five is called understanding. And in stage five, understanding, it brings us to a place of confidence. And we move from unproductive behavior of stage three by taking the energy that's found in stage four and becoming productive in stage five. We become more pragmatic. We think about things that will actually help us through this. And we can take, we can, that we can take and engage the issues that we're facing and adapt to the changes. And suddenly the changes are not overtaking us, but we are having some control over the changes and of our lives. And finally, in stage six is this process called integration. And integration gives us satisfaction of, of gaining at least some sense of control over the changes. And we don't have to like the changes, but we do feel some satisfaction that we're managing them instead of the changes managing us. And our thoughts become focused 
And we become generous in our actions, even towards others, because once we get to that point, we figure, oh, I'm making the I'm making good and my life is good because of the changes. And we see somebody still struggling in the change and we say, here, let me help you. And we become to begin get generous about helping others and life is getting so much better. We're able to help others maneuver through the changes that they also are experiencing. In the body of Christ. Let me summarize these six stages quickly. Stage one is loss, in which we experience fear and caution, and often we're paralyzed to act. Stage two is doubt, where we experience resentment, skepticism, and resistance. Stage three is anxiety, confusion, unproductive actions, and spinning our wheels. But here's the, here's the critical point of that danger zone, where we have the choice, and the choice is ours. Moves us to stage four of anticipation and resourcefulness where we find energy to act. In stage five, our confidence grows with practical solutions as they emerge and productive actions in stage six. Satisfaction of being in better control and a focused mind about the changes and we become generous to help others. Sounds like a pretty good plan to me as we work through the changes that we have to do. I'd like to apply that now to a story out of the Bible as we, sit, as we think about that, thinking, well, he's just given me a nice psychological uh, uh, sermon, and uh, that's not what I came here for. So let's jump to Scripture. I've already given you a pretty powerful Scripture from James that I think backs up this process. But let's look at the story of Moses. And to do so, let's, let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. By the way, if, if you have the version app, I've uh, look on the events section of the version and go to Christ the Cornerstone. And on that version app, I've got a picture of that of that cycle of change it might make it a little bit easier to remember that. Uh, and if you uh, there's a great article about it, I'd be willing to share that article with you. So if you want to comment or email us or text us, tell me more about that cycle of change, Pastor, and I'll, I'll send that uh, information to you. Be glad to share it with you. It comes from a, from an organization called Cycle of Change. I found it on the internet, and I've just adapted it for our purposes here. But let's read Exodus chapter 34, verses uh, starting with verse 29. I'm going to give you a little background. We know the. Sto- I hope you, I hope you're familiar with the story of Moses. Moses was that man. Now remember, he was he was born a Hebrew child, but the Pharaoh had had told them to kill all the infant boys. And so Moses' mother hid him for three months, and then he got too big to be hidden successfully, and so she put him in a basket and and covered him up and sent him into the Nile River and floated him down. She watched to see what happened to him. One of the Pharaoh's princesses saw this basket with Moses in it, and she she sent one of her servants to go get that basket because they could hear Moses crying. And so they came out and and the princess decided to send Moses over to a a nurse, to a a Hebrew woman, because she recognized because of the cloth, this was a Hebrew baby boy. And so the princess, disobeying the Pharaoh's orders, gave Moses, happened to be his own mother. Now, you can't tell me that God is working this out. 
So Moses gets nursed by his own mother, but the princess doesn't even know it. So for we don't know how many years Moses is raised by his mother in the Hebrew family. But then when he gets old enough, he goes to live in Pharaoh's house. And now he's being raised as the son of Pharaoh, as the son of this princess. And so Moses has this upbringing, both of the Hebrew people as well as the Egyptian people. And when he gets older, he sees the enslavement of the Hebrew people and he knows that I'm one of them. And he sees he sees one of the one of his Hebrew people being beaten by an Egyptian uh, guard because they're enslaved. And Moses gets so angry that that one of his Hebrew people is being killed, that Moses kills that Egyptian. And now Moses realizes that he's a murderer. And so instead of going back to, to face Pharaoh and say, I, I, I am a, a son of Pharaoh, uh, but I have killed and, and he knows that he's going to be killed. Moses runs away. So here's Moses running away from his crisis that, that he's in. He goes and lives in the desert for years. And while he's in the desert, God comes to him in that burning bush experience that I hope this story is familiar to. Um, tell, we're, we're, we're running through the whole book of Exodus <laughs> as I tell this story. So Moses has this burning bush experience in which God says to him, I want you to go back to Egypt, you murderer. And go say to Pharaoh, let my people go. There's this big conversation and with between uh, Moses and God. And finally, Moses goes back and, and you know, the story, Pharaoh refuses to let his people go. And then the 10 plagues come. And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, OK, you can take the people. And as soon as the people go and the, the Bible says at least 600,000 men. That's a lot of men. And then you add to the 600,000 men, the women and the children, the wives the mothers of the children and all of the animals that they took. And they even plundered the Egyptians. They went to the Egyptian neighbors and they said, and God said to do this. And, and they said that you're, you're, the Egyptian neighbors will find favor on you. And so the, the Hebrew people went to their Egyptian neighbors and said, would you give us some gold and silver that you've got? And the, the Egyptian people turned it over to them. Just handed it right over because God said they're going to have favor on you and they're going to give you these things. So the Hebrew people gathered all these things and and finally Pharaoh said, "Okay, now you you can go. But then as soon as they left, he changed his mind. Six hundred men, six hundred thousand men. Imagine a crowd, a crowd of six hundred thousand people. We have to we have to work in our minds to imagine that. And then add to it the men and the women. Estimates say it was between a million and a half and three million people leaving. Egypt. That's powerful. God is doing something amazing in, in this experience. So they get out of Egypt and they get into the promised land. Well, before they get there, you know, Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his, his secret service after them. He says, or he sends the special forces after them. Go keep them because once they cross that Nile River, they're never coming back. And so they try to catch up with them. But then God separates the Nile River, allowing easy passage for his people to get into freedom. And then God covers over the passage and destroys the special forces of Pharaoh as they tried to stop the Hebrew people. Now, the Hebrew people are suddenly free. They had been enslaved for at least 400 years. 
Now, in our experience as as Americans, we think about slavery and the devastation that that slavery, American slavery has had not only on the the black culture, people among us. And and we're still living the consequences of that in our world, in our in our society and how damaging that was for us. And we're still living that out. Imagine if that had lasted for 400 years in America and the changes that would come once it's mind boggling as we're thinking about change. The changes that have to come are drastic and these are not little tweaks that have to come, but they are major, significant, big, huge changes that are difficult for everybody, including the society to deal with. So finally, I've given you that background. Now let's look at the, the scripture, chapter 34. We've told, <laughs> took all that to get up to chapter 34. So chapter 34, verse 29. Oh no, a little bit more, little, little bit more peace before we get there. You remember God, so, so now God is trying to recreate a society. They don't know how to live as free people. They don't know how to live outside of Egypt because they've lived there for 400 years. Their great, 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 great grandfathers have lived this kind of life. They grew up expecting to remain a slave and live in this live in this setting. So God had to teach them how to live. So God gives them the Ten Commandments and gives them instructions and gives them laws. This is how I want you to live as a community, as a society. And you remember Moses comes down from the mountain. And in the meantime, the people had thought Moses had had died up on top of the mountain. And so the people had come to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they said, make us a god so we can worship somebody. So they melted down the gold and created this golden calf. Moses didn't die. He comes down the mountain with the... Ten Commandments on two tablets, and he sees that the people have disobeyed God, and he smashes them into dust, and he smashes the the golden calf into powder, and he makes the people drink it. (laughs) It's all in the Bible, read Exodus. And God says, come back up to the mountain. We've got to start this thing again. So this is where we come into the story. Chapter 34, verse 29. When God came down the mountain. Now, this is the second time he had met with God up on the mountaintop. When Moses came down, carrying again two tablets of stone, this is two new sets of the the Ten Commandments, inscribed with the terms of the covenant, meaning the Ten Commandments, Moses was not aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. Now, I want us to picture this. Had a, this had a staff member, I'm not going to pick on who it, who it was, a staff member who was whitening his teeth. Uh-oh, I just told you who, what, what gender the person was, or her. Staff member was whitening his or her teeth. And they were in a fairly secluded place in the office, and so they were doing work. And so the way they were whitening their teeth was using an ultraviolet, I guess it was one of those ultraviolet things. Looked like a mouth guard that he or she would put into his or her mouth and just let it brighten by the light. It would brighten the teeth. And so he'd plug it in, she'd plug it in. (laughs) 
to her computer. <laughs> and it, that was the power for it. So the staff member's sitting there just doing, doing work with this bluish glow coming out of their mouth. My wife, Carolyn, happens to walk by and sees through the, through the little window in, in the door this strange light. And she looks in and sees what's going on. And it was just kind of peculiar, and it made Carolyn laugh. But here's this, here's this, this, this process of being whitened or purified because of light. I kind of think that maybe that's kind of what's happened to Moses. Having been in the presence of God, he's washed out. He's made brighter. And here's the, here's the point, that just being in the presence of God changes us, changes our appearance. And that's what we want in this world. We need this. And this is one of the changes that we want to have, we can have, we need to have in our lives. So when Moses came down, he was radiant. And they were afraid. I imagine he might have looked like a ghost. So bright. But Moses called to them and said, ask Aaron and all the leaders to come over. And he talked with them. And then all of the people of Israel, they were they felt safe. OK, it's Moses. We know what's going on. And Moses gave them the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking, he covered his face with a veil. Now, we, that ought to make sense to us because all of a sudden. We're all covering our faces with a veil when we come together. We're hiding something. We're protecting something. We're putting a barrier between us and something else. And so Moses, when he was with the people, he saw that they were afraid of the very presence of God. So he had to cover his face. And I think that's an interesting thing. Why are we afraid of the very presence of God? And I think I think that when we get into the presence of God, it is so pure, it is so holy, it is so much light that it identifies our own darkness in our lives. And we realize that we are not like God, even though we were created to have this fellowship with God. The sin in our lives has disfigured us, has discolored us, has has shown us that we are not what we are supposed to be in God's eyes and we need to be made whole and we need to be cleansed. And sometimes it's a very frightening thing for us to surrender that. But God is loving and God says, still come to me, come to me and I will cleanse you. We'll talk more, more, more about that. Let's keep reading this, this scripture passage. So when Moses finished speaking to them, then he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. There was nothing. When Moses was in the presence of God, he said, Lord, here I am fully and totally. There's nothing that I need to hide from you, God. And that is true. And the people of Israel, uh, then he would give the so he would come back and he. He would remove the veil until he came out again, and then he would give, then he would give the people the instructions the Lord gave to him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow on Moses' face. So he would put a veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord again. The change that we need is a change that God brings into our lives. In dealing with our changes or his changes, Moses had to spend time with God. 
And as Moses spent time with God, God's presence changed Moses and Moses reflected the character and the purity and the holiness, the glory of God. And God has called us as his people to be the same, to do the same, be holy as I am holy. But I understand that 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 means that we have to confront our own unholiness. But that's what God wants to do so that we can be mature and complete, lacking absolutely nothing in our lives. God's presence in us changes us so that others will experience the power, the love and the character of God. I have one story I want to share with you uh, that I think illustrates this process of God's presence in us changing our experiences. I was having some prayer uh, with a friend years ago, and I was uh, talking with this friend who I knew loved me, but our relationship had hit a rocky place. And I made an appointment to visit the friend so that we could work things out. And we met and had a very meaningful talk. We worked things out, even though times in the conversation were a little bit tense. But when it was time to leave, I said, how about we just have some prayer together? And my friend agreed. During the prayer, though, I experienced something a little bit odd and unique. While we had been talking, I was confident that we had worked through things and we had come to a place of understanding about our our expectations and one another. And I felt good about the changes that we needed to make in our relationship. But while we were praying, my friend began to pray for me and began saying things in the prayer that made me feel uncomfortable. He was praying in a way that I sensed he was telling me what he thought I ought to be doing. And, and I began to get confused because I thought, we just talked about that. So why in this prayer are you telling me new information that really you shouldn't be talking to me at all? We're talking to God and God is part of this conversation. But I'm feeling awkward. Have you ever had a prayer like that or an experience like that? Let me give an illustration. I know what this kind of prayer is. And unfortunately, I have done it, too, and I have caught myself, and, and I'm sorry for those times. I think this is a manipulative prayer. Is what, and let me give you an, an example. Let's say that I'm praying for my son, and my son Ryan, and I pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, please help my son find a job. Now, that's a good fatherly prayer to pray for my son, and that's fine. But then my prayer goes in another direction. And I say, dear Heavenly Father, please help my son find a job. Lord, he just needs to get off my couch and do something productive. (laughs) Now, if my son's right here with me and I've got my hand on his shoulder or my hand on his head and I'm just I'm just praying for him. How do you think he's feeling with that kind of prayer? I think I've moved from asking God, Lord, have your way in his in my son's life and teach him and show him the way that he that you want him to go. And all of a sudden I've switched and I've judged my son as being unproductive and unwilling to do anything but get off, but stay on my couch that I'm paying for (laughs) and eat my food. And I've judged my son. Do you understand the kind of how that prayer changed? Do you? I need some nods. Last night I got good nods. (laughs) I can't see your nods online. But that's what I call a manipulative prayer. And the problem 
with with those kinds of prayers is that I allowed my own desires to become manipulative and my prayer was more of me telling Ryan what to do and God what I think God ought to do than it was about me surrendering my own will to what God desires for both Ryan and what I want for him. God might agree with me that he needs to get off the couch and get a job, but that's not my job to judge my son like that. And I had crossed the line from a prayer of submission to God's will into a lecture about what Ryan needed to change. So there I was in my prayer time with my friend and I was feeling this kind of confusion and awkwardness. I feel like my friend was giving me new information and telling me what to do in the prayer. And, and I was confused. And I said, God, what is this to myself? I said, God, what is this experience that I'm having? I just had a great conversation with my friend, but now I'm confused about it. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do what we had agreed on doing? Or is now my friend telling me, telling me? And because this is a prayer time, am I supposed to listen to this part and ignore that part? Or what's going on, God? And then the thought came to me, Scripture came to me that says God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of truth and light and purpose. And I said, all right, God, we need some help in this because I'm not sure where this is going. And I offered a prayer under my breath. Something like this. Oh, Holy Spirit, you do not bring confusion to your servants. And you are the teacher who shows the way. Come and be present in our prayer time so that we can know what you want of us in Jesus' name. I was asking for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us in this prayer time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And then I began focusing again. All that time my friend continued to pray. And then I began focusing again on what my friend was saying. And it was almost an immediate change in tone. And atmosphere because God became part of our prayer again. And I I, I don't want to tell this illustration to say how good I am. I'm just grateful that God became present in that prayer time because it changed. And when we're facing changes, we need God's presence in our lives. And I noticed an immediate change in his tone. His tone softened and the prayer shifted focus off of me. And he began to pray more for the circumstances of that that we both faced. And then it shifted onto himself and he began to hear God speaking to him more clearly. And while he had also experienced confusion, now he is experiencing clarity. And in the end, both of us had tears coming down our cheeks. Because it was a precious time that I know God was with us. So quickly, another story. Back in 1970, I know that was a long time ago. For some of us, it feels like ages ago. Some of us remember that, that time. In the college that I attended, God had a powerful movement. And the president of that college had been away and he'd left the provost in charge. And so he was all, the president was off in Canada doing some speaking. And, and this one day he called back to the college and, and three days a week, the college had a chapel service at 10 o'clock on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So the president, who was hundreds of miles away, called the campus and said, how are things going? And his secretary says, well, 
I think you better speak to the provost and let him tell you what's going on. And so the provost got on the phone, and, and the, uh, Dr. Kinlaw was the president, name of the president, and he asked Dr. Coker, who was the provost, what's going on? And Dr. Coker said, well, I have canceled classes. What? <laughs> Why? Have you... Well, the students have not left chapel, and chapel is still going on. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Chapel was supposed to stop at 11 o'clock. And on a college campus, you start at 10 o'clock. The bell rings like every other class at 10.50 so students can get to their class. And when the bell rings, chapel is over. But this particular day, chapel didn't stop. Because the Spirit of God had come into that room and students had begun spontaneously to come to the altar to confess their sins and to pray. And, and then after they prayed there... One student got up to the pulpit and he asked the preacher, would you let me share my testimony because God's giving me something to share? And he began giving his testimony. And then another student got up. He wanted to share his testimony. And then another student came up. She wanted to share her testimony. Meanwhile, students are being moved and professors are being moved. And suddenly there's no room for anybody to kneel at the at the at at the altar area. And there's a line of students that want to tell their testimony. This went on for at least five days. 24 hours a day, the lights never went off. It hit the news. People started coming and, and, and visiting campus to see what was happening. And lives were changed. And the atmosphere in this. And so Dr. Coker had to tell Dr. Kinlaw what, what, that what God was doing on campus. And, and Dr. Kinlaw tells the story. He, was, he had called from a telephone booth in Canada. And he says, as I was listening to the, look at, look at the, look at the telephone that I'm holding, how old that is. Because that's the kind of thought he had. Dr. Kinlaw said, I could feel the Spirit of God coming through the telephone. And in my little phone booth, and these are the words he used, I sensed and I felt the sweet presence of the loving God. Amazing thing. When we come into the presence of God. Do you need that? Oh, Jesus, I need that in my life every day. And every day we need the presence of God. Moses was this man of God chosen to lead hundreds of thousands of people out of enslavement in Egypt and freedom in the land that God promised their ancestor Abraham. Many things had to change. And the story we read of their experiences seems as if everyone was willing to follow Moses, but everyone wasn't. There was resistance. There was every one of these stages of change that they went through. Moses encountered people who were fearful and cautious and they refused to budge. It was Pharaoh who refused them to leave. And then only after ten plagues, Pharaoh relented. And he sent his special forces and, and to chase them back into slavery. And if God had not been present, they would have been turned back. But God intervened and God still intervenes today. And then the people of God found their freedom and they wandered in wilderness for 40 years and many things had to change. Fear and resentment and anxiety continued, yet Moses continued to look to God and his guiding presence for them. The presence of God as a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night proved that the Lord was with them. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, follow God's ways. Do what is right and trust in Jesus. 
anticipate what God can do rather than what you think you ought to do. Grab hold of the resources of of Almighty God who created you, who created us, and owns the cattle on a thousand hills, not just a thousand cattle on one hill. Call upon the Holy Spirit to fill you and to energize you with His power so that you can enter that green zone of change, the go zone instead of the oh no zone. (laughs) Oh no, not that change. Filled with the presence of God together will find the satisfaction of God. Focused ministry to a world that is changing like never before. And because of God's presence, we, His people, will generously share with others the way to life through faith in Jesus Christ. What are you facing this week? For that change... In which stage do you think you are? Are you in stage one, the loss of fear and caution and paralysis? Are you in doubt, resentment, skepticism? Are you still saying, why can't things just stay the same? (laughs) Are you just feeling the discomfort, the anxiety, the confusion and spinning your wheels? Remember that critical moment. You've got to choose to let this endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete. Lacking nothing ring. Move on to stage four, to that discovery and that anticipation and the resourcefulness and the energy that leads to understanding and confidence and practicality and integrating that into your life so that you can be mature and complete and helping others get where God wants them to be too. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray together, and I invite you to kneel. If you're here in the room, you can come here to the platform area, and we can have a time of kneeling together. If you're watching online, I encourage you to enter a time of prayer for yourself as the team leads us in this song. I encourage you to go to to, uh, the Connect card at ctcde.net and fill that out. The bottom of it is a place where you can make a comment or you can fill out a, a, a prayer request. Just connect with us. Tell us, how are you handling these changes? And let's encourage one another in this. I invite you to stand as we sing together, and I invite you to come and kneel, and let's just pray together as we seek the presence of God through all the changes that we face. Let's sing and let's pray. You're able to do it. I know you can. God, you are faithful to move again.
can we give God some glory, please? In the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I am so filled with the Holy Spirit right now. When we come into his manifest presence like this amongst other brethren, and not just here in the church, but at home also, wherever you are worshiping God, God is with you. He is omnipresent. He's omniscient. So he's right there with you. His blessings are with you. His joy is being imparted into you right now. Would you take that joy and that blessing of being in God's presence? Like Pastor Roger said, the glow was upon us from being in God's holy presence. Amen. Take it out to the world. Be the light that Jesus said we are to be. As he is the light, the bigger light, as he reflects upon us, the lesser light. Let that shine upon the world. Why? So that people will see you and give honor and glory to Father God. Go in peace. We love you. Tell somebody Jesus loves them. Amen. God bless. God is on the throne.